there are men who don't salivate at the thought of opening a big box of old silver and bronze age comics. There are men who don't salivate at all because of glandular issues. We feel terrible for those men. And then there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein. Two men who should have better things to do but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass men. With special grown-ass guests, R. Sikoriak and Karen Green. On this episode, our friend, illustrator and author R. Sikoriak joins us along with Karen Green. Karen is the curator of comics and cartoons at the Columbia University Libraries and an all-around expert on the gentleman we're talking about today, Mad Magazine's beloved cartoonist, Al Jaffe, who just turned 100, by the way. Let's talk about Al. Hello, Karen Green. Hi, Karen. And we have longtime uh, friend of the show, Bob Sikoriak. I think I'm kind of a good person to ask you questions and to, to hear about Al Jaffe, because I really don't know that much about him. I have to admit, I'm, I know that I've seen a lot of his work in Mad Magazine over the years, but aside from the fold-ins, I don't know that much about him. He's been doing stuff since the 40s. Oh yeah, for, for Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah. And, and Will it. Eisner before that. That's right. Yeah, no, he's, he's deeply embedded in comics history. <laughs> his career is, incredibly long. Um, uh, one of the things that struck me uh, in, in when I was sort of uh, doing the research uh, on him was he called himself a journeyman cartoonist. And that's both so humble and so accurate because he started in the early days with Eisner. Um, he, he had a superhero parody called Inferior Man, if I'm not mistaken. That was like early 40s. Eisner, right. really, yeah, Eisner really liked it. Um, and then um, uh, for various reasons, he moved from Eisner to, to work with Stan Lee at Timely. Uh, and then he did funny animal comics and he did teen romance comedy comics like Patsy Walker. Uh, he's the inventor of Silly Seal, which uh, we're burying the lead here. The immortal <laughs> Silly Seal and Zippy Pig. Ziggy and Pig. Ziggy Don't forget <laughs> Ziggy Pig. <laughs> so, uh, and I think actually Marvel did a, a, a one-shot reunion of them recently. So, you know, there's people at, at Marvel who love the, and Timely, of course, was Marvel before, before it became Marvel. But in any case, so he worked with, he worked with Will Eisner. He worked with Stan Lee. He, then he got involved with Harvey Kurtzman, um, partially at MAD. They worked on Humbug together. Yeah, Al followed, Al followed, uh, Harvey to, I believe he worked on Trump as well, which was the first. He worked, I think he worked on all three. I think he worked on, on yeah. help, uh, uh, Trump, Humbug, and Help. Yeah, so he was doing work before uh, he went back to MAD. So, sorry, Trump, Humbug, those were all precursors of, to MAD magazine. No, no the story's crazier no, no. than so, that. So uh, uh, Harvey Kurtzman founds MAD magazine in 1954. And he's gone, what, by like 1956 after a, a, a dispute with Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein becomes the editor. Um, so he goes on to try again, you know, to try to get lightning to strike again. And, uh, you know, it never quite works. Trump just has a handful of issues. I think Humbug lasted the longest at 11 issues. Trump lasted two issues. What an unfortunate name. <laughs> 
I mean, it's a great <laughs> oh, name well, in now, 1957. Yeah. Oh, oh, it, seemed, it seemed much better at the time. Trump was a full color, glossy magazine funded by Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. Who That's was right. a fan of Kurt Smith, which was why uh, Harvey left mad because he got this offer from Hefner. I think we have to mention the line that Hefner said about um, Kurt Smith and Trump. I gave him an unlimited budget and he exceeded it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say something about that biography that um, that Bob mentioned that Al illustrated. So it was written by a woman named Mary Mary Lou Weisberg. I hope I've got that right, Mary Lou Weisberg. And uh, it's called Al Jaffe's Mad Life. And Al did close to 100, I think, illustrations for this. Mm. Now, his childhood is a saga all of its own. He was born in Georgia and the mother took them to Lithuania because she missed her home. Their father was still in Savannah, Georgia. They came back briefly, then they went back again. And then um, the, the, his father kind of saw the writing on the wall uh, in the early thirties and insisted that the family come back. The, the mother sent the kids back and she didn't return and they never saw her again. Wow. So that's enough of a saga, but the, the illustrations that he made of those years for the biography turn out to be the only extant images of that shtetl, Zarasai, pre-World War II. And a few years ago, um, someone from Zarasai saw these things and they're like, oh my God, we don't even know what our village looked like before the war. And they actually did an, an exhibition in Zarasai of his illustrations, you know, next to photographs of the same location in the modern day so that the citizens could see what their own town used to look like. So he, he literally is history. I mean, he, he wow. doesn't represent history. He embodies history. Amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's Al. And just like, you know, I, I looked at that issue, the recent one of Mad, was it 14? I mean, he can really do whatever he wants to do. He writes, he writes and illustrates his stuff. He illustrates other stuff, does all this futuristic, like inventions that look like they're all actually going to come true eventually. Did you, you know. see the, the New York Times Sunday crossword? Uh, last last week the the 14th i guess the day after his birthday mm. it was dedicated to him oh wow um, it had clues to things that he had invented in like the 60s like uh graffiti proof buildings uh, automatic redial on a telephone you know <laughs> which was a big thing back in the in the rotary days <laughs> God, there were there were a ton of things that like actually now exist that he just kind of came up with. Like this would be a cool thing to have, and now we have it. He's he's not just talented; he's beloved mm. because he's just like. I mean, have you have you heard his voice? He's got this like NPR <laughs> radio voice, just this resonant, gorgeous voice. Um, he's funny, just fast. I mean, he really is snappy. He just doesn't miss a beat still. He twinkles, hmm. you know, he's elfin. 
Did he serve in World War II? He was the right age. Yes. Yes, he did. In fact, I found, I can't find it, it's somewhere in this apartment. I found um, a program to like a regimental entertainment show that he did the cover for. (laughs) And then what kind of stuff did he do when he worked for Will Eisner? Well, like I said, he, I know he created this superhero called Inferior Man. He said he couldn't draw muscles, but he could write and he could be funny. So he did a, he did a, a, a takeoff of, of superheroes in like 42, right? When they were wow. huge the first time around. Um, uh, and uh, I, I don't think he worked with Eisner that long, but he was with, he was with Stanley for, I'm going to say 10 years. Is that right, Karen? I would say, yeah, he was there a good amount of years because um, he was doing Patsy Walker in, in like what early mid forties. And, uh, uh, he left, he had kind of a little altercation with Stan who had praised some guy's art who had come in over the transom and, and Al felt like he was being, he, he felt like Stan was kind of needling him. So he said, well, if you like his stuff so much, you can use him. And he walked, but he never came back. And then he called Harvey to say, oh, I'll work for Matt. And, and Harvey said, oh, I just left Matt. Right. <laughs> so you can date it to around 56 when he left. So yeah, it's a fair amount of time with, with Stan. So how... He, he's so he's involved with Mad pretty much from the onset, more or less. How responsible is he for what uh, the direction of the whole magazine? I don't know if he's. Know that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would say that he's responsible for the direction of the magazine, but I think I was he became, asking. I'm asking. Yeah, I, I know, but I think he became an institution <laughs> for the magazine. Right. You know, I mean they. You know, the, the, we, we haven't really talked about snappy answers to stupid questions, but that was his other big, his other big um, running uh, serial that was in MAD. But the fold-ins uh, ran pretty much for 50 years. I think he missed, I think he missed one issue, but yeah. he did over 500 of them. So, you know, he became th- that one, that one uh, gimmick, which he thought was a one-off, uh, became you know, that made him immortal, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I think he'd always be remembered because he'd done so many things, but but people will still speak to him now about, you know, the Foldens. Like that is the that is the the piece that that is completely tied to mad. How does he do the folded? Like how does he He draws the folded image and then he cuts it down the middle and puts it on either side of a, another piece of paper and and he fills in the inside. Obviously. As he put it, figures out what the <laughs> hell to draw in the middle. Yeah. So yeah. then he transfers that to an illustration board and paints it. So he doesn't see it, he doesn't see the actual artwork folded until it's printed. Right. <laughs> I read that. Yeah, he works a lot on tracings. We have just we have piles of his tracings because he'll, he'll do, he'll do the, the roughs on tracing paper and, and then construct it all together. And then as Bob said, you know, transfer it to a board and paint the board. 
Wow. You know, he said often that he was inspired by the the fold-outs in Playboy and National Geographic, and wouldn't it be funny to have a fold-in? And so he did the one with Elizabeth Taylor and, and Richard Burton and um, Eddie Fisher, and he just figured, as Bob said, that it was a one-off. And the reason that he figured it was a one-off is because Harvey would never have done anything twice. You know, he would be like, what do you get that's new? What do you get that's new? What do you get that's new? But Al Feldstein said, you know, where's the, where's the fold-in for next week? He's like, what are you talking about? It was one of us. Like, no, 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 do it again. So he did one. So he he went. So Feldstein went and talked to Bill Gaines. Again, this is like a story everybody's heard. So I don't know if I'm being an idiot to even repeat it. But Feldstein went to um, Bill Gaines and said, you know, what do you think about this thing? And Gaines said, I love it. People will buy two copies, one to right. fold, one to keep. So it became a weekly thing, and just Monthly. kept going. Oh, sorry, yeah, monthly thing. I was going to say, was it coming out weekly? Wow. <laughs> sorry. Um, and, and you know, we actually have in the archive the final fold-in, the one that will run when he's gone. Oh, wow. Wow. Nobody's allowed to see it. It's in a restricted folder until it's published. It he was, said, um, I made sure that they paid me before, I, before they ran it. That's a pro. He is a pro. Yes. Get the money up front. I forget, when did the California Mad start? Oh, actually, it started, let's see, I would say maybe two or three years ago, they finally moved Mad out there. Three years ago. But Al Jaffe worked for them, mostly, of course, in New York, but he continued to work for the magazine even when it moved out to California until he retired yes. a couple years ago. And then yes. just, just a few what a couple of weeks ago he turned 100 yes what like what do you think al is most proud of in his in all the things that he's done i've heard him speak <laughs> about uh kurtzman a lot and i i know that humbug meant a lot to them when they were working on it but um i got the sense that just the work was really important to him just just making i it. agree with you bob i think what he is proudest of is being a working artist. Um, I, I spoke with him just a, a few days ago and he said that he just, he missed having deadlines, you know, he missed having something to do. Mm. He liked that he had something to do for 60, 70 years. <laughs> he was a working artist. I think he won the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest working cartoonist and I think it was 72 years at that point <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> he broke his own record <laughs> did he ever talk about like how he stayed inspired one of the things we talk a lot about on the show in terms of comic books is like how do you stay inspired to write another Batman story or whatever you know because it's like it's been done for so many years it's hard to find something new to do with it. I mean, you're working for Mad Magazine for 60 years or whatever it is. Well, you know, these last several years, he wasn't necessarily the person who came up with the ideas for mm. the fold-in. You know, he would admit that he wasn't tied in enough to popular culture to mm. really know what was going on. So the folks like Sam Viviano, the art director at Mad that he worked 
very closely with would, you know, offer an idea and get him some photo reference. And then Al would go to work. You know, he would take that and he would take the idea and, and he would construct the fold in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the archives where you work and, you know, and I don't know anything about it in general, but also, you know, is related to Al. I work at, at Columbia University in the Rare Book and Manuscript Library. We have several strengths. Uh, you know, most archives have a, a wide variety of things, but they'll have certain specializations. And some of our specializations are the performing arts, um, literary history, the history of publishing. Uh, and I started my library career, my professional library career as the librarian for ancient and medieval history, because my scholarly background was in um, medieval history. Uh, but after I got that job, I noticed that Columbia didn't have graphic novels in the stacks. And I thought we should. So I suggested that we start that. And five years after we started that collection, uh, I was approached by Chris Claremont Mm. Uh, well, by Chris Claremont's wife, uh, saying Chris wants to donate his his papers to a, a university. Is Columbia interested? So I went up to the uh, head of Rare Books and I said, Chris Claremont wants to give us his papers. And Timmy asked me a few questions. They said, okay, who else can you get? <laughs> <laughs> because it's never a good thing to have a, a collection exist as kind of an orphan. You know, you want to build a context around it. Mm. So um, I started talking to people and I think Al was actually the second or third person that I approached. I had met him briefly when he had given a talk at Columbia and then I'd asked him to be on a panel for a, a symposium that I'd organized in, uh, in 2012. And um, I saw him at New York Comic Con and I said, so Al, where are you putting your archives? It's like, nobody's asked me. Mm. Like, well, how about Columbia? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I worked mostly with Joyce and Joyce's daughter, Jody, um, Al's stepdaughter, uh, to, to go through his studio and take the things that he was ready to relinquish. Um, and so we started off with like inscribed books, and then we started getting the, the art from the the biography. So we have all the illustrations that he did, the original art of all the illustrations from the biography. We have all of his um, 90th birthday birthday cards that people sent him, lots of fan mail, um, uh, lots of advertising work that he did. He and Joyce used to uh, summer in Provincetown and he would do a lot of like posters and flyers for local businesses. So we have a lot of that stuff. And then we started getting more and more art uh, as he was ready to let it go. And I think the, the two coolest things in the collection are the original art for um, the, the Christmas 1956 issue of Humbug, which is uh, an insanely elaborate black and white drawing of a town at Christmas time. It's just like lights everywhere and snow everywhere. Um, and it's heavily pasted up. It's like he's cut out things and drawn on them and pasted them over to kind of create this, this thing. So that's, that's one of the coolest things. And the other coolest thing is 
he did a feature for mad called if kids designed their own Christmas toys. Um, and so he would have like, uh, a drawing of a rocket and then like that a kid did. And then the crazy looking rocket that looked like the kid's drawing. And he built these, he actually built these things. So we have the rocket that he made. Um, <laughs> he built it. What did he build it out of? Like, like cardboard? Tin. Oh. It's, like, <laughs> it's metal. That's awesome. <laughs> did they end up in the, in the, you know, sixties and seventies to actually own their own art that they would have control of it. And he would have it in his studio to give it to you. In the later years, anyway, Mad didn't generally keep the art. Um, they sent it back. When I visited the Mad offices, they had literally one piece of original art there, um, which was uh, the original of a redrawn piece that Jack Davis had done of uh, boxers. He hadn't liked the direction they were facing, so he redrew it. So they still had the original there. I hope that that's in California somewhere and didn't get lost. <laughs> Does Al have a lot of his fold-in artwork? Yes. So he got all those back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that he has all of it, but how, he, who could he? How could he have yeah, right. <laughs> He'd need to rent another apartment. But he's got hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of the fold-ins. I don't how know do if he's got hundreds and hundreds, but he's got a lot. Karen, who else do you have in your archive? Uh, as I mentioned, we've got Chris Claremont. We've got Wendy and Richard Peeney in the ElfQuest archives. We have S. Clay Wilson, uh, underground cartoonist. We have um, uh, the, the archives, the records of Kitchen Sink Press. Wow. Um, we have uh, several New Yorker cartoonists, uh, Joseph Farris, Mort Gerberg, um, Charles Saxon, Nurit Carlin. Uh, we have um, small collections, like a, a little stash of Joe Schuster letters, um, a slightly larger stash of Frank Thorne letters, Frank Thorne, who just passed away this past week. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, some Alex Toth letters that Jim Vadabankar gave to us. Um, we have uh, Steve Bissett has just started sending us um, the beginning of, of his collection. Um, and I've got some people in the pipeline I can't talk about until Wonderful. What a unique and great thing that you're that you're able to have a home for those collections. He's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Is there a treasure that you want to get for the Columbia archives? Is there something out there that I went to um, Manhattan, you know, Metropolis Collectibles um, recently? And they have just some fantastic stuff on the wall. And I was looking at it and I was really enjoying looking at it, but I was kind of thinking some of these should be kept in a more hermetically sealed environment. <laughs> they're really good. <laughs> they're going to fall apart pretty soon. There isn't one object that I crave just because we're not a museum. I mean, we do do exhibitions, but we're not a museum. You know, it's like in archaeology. Uh, when you when you have an artifact, it's cool, but it doesn't tell you anything unless you know exactly where it was found, like what square and what level and what was around it. And, like and the, so, in, the staff of Ra and the the headpiece. 
to the staff <laughs> exactly. of Raw. It needs to be you placed to know exactly where to the right yes. in the well of the soul. <laughs> so there are collections that I crave. Um, and one of those collections that uh, that's like the one that got away is Harvey Kurtzman's archive. Mm. What it hasn't gone anywhere yet, but it's it's for sale. It's not it's not a donation. It's for sale, wow. and we couldn't afford it. Wow! And I couldn't raise the money for it. And I think about it every day. <laughs> so, some university might buy it, or just a private collector might buy it. How does that work? That would no, really it suck. Really, it has really a been private person just bought it and just put it in their living room. You know. Well, I mean, it's like 40 boxes of stuff, you know, right. you would need to, to have more than a living room. You need to have something dedicated to preserving it. And, you know, that's why we want people to put their stuff with us because we have processing archivists and, you know, I was going to ask, like, is archival there archival quality folders and, you know, is there a, is there a belloc to your Indiana Jones? Like, is there like, <laughs> Who who's out there who you're competing with to get some of this these archives? Why would I talk about my competition? <laughs> wow. Good. Understood. <laughs> would you cite Al Jaffe as an influence? And like if you do, like, you know, what could you say about that? How you know, did he influence you at all? Or you could just say no. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to say, like, I was really struck um, looking at those, looking at that reprint issue with all of the stories, because I remembered <laughs> panels, like, there are things in there that are embedded in me. So um, I don't remember if, I, and of course, I parody everyone. I've not parodied Al on any- I was page. just going to ask that if you'd ever drawn like Al. And I'm trying to think, no one, I don't think anyone's ever asked me to do a fold-in, because I would love to do that. But I really, I, I, I think- I think I really, I mostly appreciate his mind because the way he approaches the page and, and, and puts things together. Um, and it, like I say, a lot of it is about process. He, there's a sense of invention in his work that I find really fascinating. So I don't know if that's necessarily um, an influence, maybe in terms of the drawing or something like that. But I think just in terms of like someone who likes to think and come up with new ideas, I'm like, I'm very attracted to that, to that brain. Right. Um, and so it's not, a, I wouldn't say he's necessarily a conscious influence, but I would say like all that stuff is, 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 uh, is embedded in me now <laughs> that approach that, that, that sense of that sense of precision. I think that his work has that I think, I think I share with him. So I would, I would say that, um, it's cool because I'm always interested in that. And he's been around for so long, you know, and he did such incredible work. He must have influenced so many people, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. One thing else I wanted to say about the fold-ins, he, he became famous for doing this one thing, but he had a million other ideas. But the thing about the fold-ins is he was doing them since 1964. He has like cataloged a lot of pop culture and political history through them. It's like one idea that he is like made variations on, but 
you know, there's ones about the environment, there's ones about ET, there's one about Jamie Lynn Spears I just saw <laughs> recently. Like <laughs> these pop culture references that come from everywhere, um, they're all kind of folded into this one idea. It's it's kind of amazing. I only had one other thing because there's a lot of music on this podcast, which I compose. So I score the podcast. Cool. Right? Yeah, so do you have any idea what kind of music Al is into? That's a good question. I want to say jazz, but I have nothing to base that. Right, right. <laughs> he's probably into a lot of different music as he's like a well-rounded person living in New York for his whole life. Yeah. I don't know. Well, are you going to speak him? to him, Karen? Yeah, Any I was just going to say, you want me to ask him? If, ask him if he could have a theme song, what does he want it to sound like? Okay. He should have his own song, right? Absolutely. At this point, everyone should, but like especially him. Al Jaffe, Alfred E. Newman will always be brewing a stew for you. One hundred birthdays and more snappy answers to stupid questions. But serious people your age are dead. Serious people your age are dead. The What's he working on now? Making it to 101. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen Green and Arsa Koryak, both of you for coming on. It was really wonderful to have you. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. Really nice to meet you. Good to see you again, Bob. Yeah. Um, Always a pleasure to see you, Bob. But a pleasure to meet <laughs> you, Doug and Adam. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks so for asking fun. me. Great to see, see you, you all soon. Bye. Yeah.